How's it going, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Hunting Public Podcast powered by Dakota Lithium. Dakota Lithium makes the products that we use to keep us charged up when we're out on the road traveling to hunt. We started using their products a few years ago, and we started with the PowerBox 10s, which are perfect for most of our needs. We can charge phones, our GPS and satellite phones, and then we can also charge GoPro batteries on those. But recently I've been using the PowerBox 135. I'm able to work from the truck where I can just plug my computer into that PowerBox and it's super handy for when you got no electricity. So if you have any interest in checking out Dakota Lithium's products, you can check the link in the description of this podcast and that'll take you over to their website. In this episode, Ted, Dylan, Bruce, Nick, Jake and I are talking about deer hunting. We start the conversation by specifically talking about southern deer hunting. Bruce lives in Georgia and Nick has spent most of his life hunting deer in Texas. So we talked about their experiences but then ultimately just had a deer hunting conversation in general. So hopefully you guys pick up on some of the things that we've learned over the years and enjoy just having a bunch of different perspectives. That's what's cool about this podcast to me is there's a bunch of people involved. Also, before we get into the podcast, I wanted to remind you guys that we have partnered with the social platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild is a free social community where not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. They give you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. And as you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too, such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. And then in addition to that, if you're using those $10 on the Go Wild store, when you go to checkout, you can use our code THP to save an additional 10% on your order. All you got to do is visit downloadgowild.com to get started. All right, guys, thanks for tuning into this episode. Hope you enjoy it. Let's talk deer hunting. We got Bruce in the house, and Bruce is from Georgia, and I think that uh, just talking deer hunting in general with some different southern experience. We've also got Nick in the house, who's full-blood Texan, just fully. There's yeah. literally not an ounce of blood, not a drop that's anything else other than Texan yeah. and Nick. Pure. Well, you know, I'm American by birth, but Texan by the grace of God. Right? <laughs> <laughs> my God. <laughs> So, yeah, I guess we're just going to talk deer hunting, and in general, that's uh, usually something that we can talk about. So, what do you um, feel like, Bruce, some of the things that you notice being in your turkey travels, what are some of the things that you learn about deer that you feel, I don't know, are just different than home, and maybe a little bit about home and how that looks different than other places, I suppose? Ah, uh, well, I mean, you you get to an area like where we're at here in the Midwest, and, and in general, you don't get quite the massive expanses of just forested land, whether it be well-manicured pines, thick pines that nobody cares about, natural regeneration clear cuts, I mean, hardwoods, whatever. There's just lots of woods. I mean, the you, you can basically you know weed out the fields easier than you can weeding out the woods Mm -hmm. as opposed to around here you can say all right well there's a wood block and then a mile over there there's another pretty good wood lot and then mile that way there's no back home it's just continuous Mm -hmm. so uh you know the style of hunting back home can it, it allows you to really do a lot of different things i mean if you're in open woods you can i feel like still hunt fairly easily i mean especially with a rifle back home there there are some places that you can be really effective with a rifle but uh a lot of the places back home i think you know a shotgun would probably be if you're just looking to kill deer you you could probably take a shotgun out in in my area of georgia and do really well on a consistent basis uh i i bow hunt i hadn't killed any deer with a rifle I, I take that back i'll shoot a doe or two if need be but i hadn't killed a buck with a rifle in quite some time uh not that i don't want to i just generally always end up picking up the bow i love it i mean you end up watching a bunch of deer at 80 yards that you can't shoot but when you do get one at 20 yards that you can shoot it's worth watching watching some of them go by and uh I've never really ventured too much into the Midwest and hunted deer. Uh, I've never gone west or and, and hunted deer out west anywhere, but uh, have 
hunted deer in Georgia for a long time. I mean, I'm 28 now, and I killed my first deer in Georgia when I was six. So, a lot, And when I was younger, I, I really deer hunted more religiously than I do now. really did that more than anything. Uh, spring turkey season kind of happened at a time. Like You ended up getting more breaks in the, the elementary school, middle school, high school. I had more breaks in the fall to be able to deer hunt than I did breaks in the spring. You get like one week of spring break, and I mean, normally it would be like the week before turkey season just – yeah. as luck would have it you know can't even turkey hunt on spring break so uh didn't get near as much time in the turkey woods when i was in you know mandatory school then that you know deer hunting was a lot easier to do get out of school one afternoon and then go get in the deer stand or go walk around and deer hunt whatever uh but you know i, I definitely plan on doing a little more deer hunting as far as you know the east is concerned i, I don't know exactly if i want to go any further up the east coast and deer hunt much i've got some buddies in virginia and some family in virginia that i might be interested in going and deer hunting up there but i really kind of want to venture west a little bit maybe some mule deer stuff and mm -hmm. and some whitetails in the midwest would be cool i want to experience the midwest for you know what, what you read about and what you hear about just a good time in the midwest may take a couple of trips going there to to, to find that experience but i do want to do it uh and mostly because of that broken habitat, right? You just want to yeah, experience it's, it's, hunting something other than big timber. And this is this is my personal opinion coming from and having lived in Georgia all my life. I arrive in a place like, I mean, it, you can name any of them from parts of Texas all the way to the Canadian border and right there in North Dakota all the way back here to, you know, Ohio even down into parts of Tennessee and some big ag land in Georgia. Like, you get into southwest Georgia, the approach would be a little different than the approach I use in central Georgia uh, because you just get a lot more, in my opinion, just defined pinch points. Mm -hmm. Like, out here, you get a cottonwood wash somewhere in the in the west, and you kind of think, you know, deer are probably going to travel that. Back mm -hmm. home, there is no just, mm -hmm. just straight-up pinch point. More terrain features, maybe water especially if you're hunting around the rivers and river swamps where water is and where water is not that can really define where your pinch points are and that can change from year to year week to week day to day depending on the rainfall i mean you just never know uh but you know i, I arrive in a place like you know you look obviously iowa and, and you look at the terrain features in a place like iowa or you know south dakota kansas and it's just nice fence rows you get woodlots that have these these points that stick out of them and it, it's not rocket science it's your, that your deer are going to travel them you just hope they travel them in the daylight that's mm -hmm. kind of the big kicker at that point i feel like is getting them to travel them in the daylight where you can get a shot at them uh back home i would be willing to bet you probably have a lot of nice deer walk by you probably close enough to shoot you never know it yeah especially with a rifle there's probably deer that walk through woods and people have no clue they're there and you just never see him never know he's there uh our, our cameras back home you know I, I see and i know a lot of people in midwestern states that have camera you know locations that they just get pictures of bucks like it's you know just one after the other just bam 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 they're gonna get the pictures of them and back home sometimes i will get pictures of bucks religiously sometimes they just pass on through and and you, you just don't ever see them again uh and i don't think they've gone far I just don't think I've narrowed down to where he likes to travel in all those woods, and it's kind of you know, throw a dart at the map and try and go look look there, look over I here. And spots you like consistently, like those cameras. I guess you're talking about what is that? What is that? Well, and and the the few cameras that I'll run, generally, I'm I'm not like a camera freak, and I don't run them year round, but. I'm generally going to put cameras on buck sign because I'm looking to get pictures of bucks. So whether it's a rub line or, you know, scrapes that I'm finding in October that I'm starting to put, you know, starting to see bucks on, put cameras on it. I'm looking to get pictures of bucks in general. Sometimes I'll put them on, you know, food sources or if, you know, there's a good water, like a, a dam of some sort, you know, across water where, you know, just animals in general are going to pinch through. I will do that. But a lot of times I'm using them on buck sign and that's kind of and it's hard for me to hunt over any kind of food or anything like that you know with a rifle in georgia it's one thing to sit back 100 120 yards from from any kind of food source and you're usually pretty good but with a bow and arrow it's hard to be hunting directly over the food and get away with it because they're going to circle around downwind at some point and smell their entrance on the way in they just don't 
they're not dumb so mm -hmm. i'm primarily hunting those transition zones travel routes to and from bedding and food and i have a lot of lot of success at least seeing big deer doing that now i mean getting them in bow range that's a whole another ball game so from time to time get lucky and i end up having one wander right by me but uh it's it's definitely it's a lot different in my mind if i were to come and hunt somewhere like this i would think it'd be just completely different i mean you you still may not have any better chance at killing a mature buck in my part of georgia as you do right here but mm -hmm. it just would be a totally different approach and mm -hmm. and i definitely want to get some more experience doing that uh i'm very i would even consider or i would even say i'm novice in the the traveling and deer hunting mm -hmm. i mean i just don't have the experience i understand how deer operate and i've hunted them long enough that i think that would probably play in my favor but it would just be a completely different completely different experience hunting deer out of state i mean whether it be mountain deer because i'm not from the mountains i'm from the flatland so even if i went and hunted some sure enough mountain deer in alabama or, or even even in georgia in georgia yeah, yeah up in the north georgia mountains it was just a completely different experience what, uh, if what's the spot look like that you can think of what's the first spot that comes to mind what does it look like where like if you had to pick one of the places that you hunt that there's going to be a mature buck in most of the days of the season or what does that look like i guess so in in a lot of the southeast you run into this but you get places that have been clear cut and replanted and generally when they come through and do the site prep and whether it's sprayed by helicopter sprayed by skitter sprayed by tractor bulldozer whatever that pretty much kills all growth except for the pine trees for the first couple of years but after about year four maybe year five of that regrowth starting to come back up you get dog fennel that's all not quite head high but it's it's pretty it's just tall enough deer slip through that stuff and slip out of it and if you're just standing ground level you won't see them very far but you get elevated and like i'll i'll pick spots just look good for deer to be entering and exiting and you know hanging my saddle or if i hang a permanent set there or something that may be the case if i think it's just the money spot but uh i have a lot of success seeing deer and, and quality deer in those those areas where yeah you're probably not going to get a very big shot window at him but he is definitely coming in and out of there and you you can i mean i just see tons of deer in those areas and and they're not necessarily uh <laughs> they're not necessarily going to and from any specific area once they get out of that perimeter right there there's no telling where they're going yeah. but they pinch down into those places in certain spots and you can really get them i've found in you know those bottlenecks around those old regrowth clear cuts uh Seems like a lot of those get so woolly in the middle middle of them that they're pretty much just using the edges for the most well, part if they need to escape through it they can but they're not generally just going to go charging right through it and even if a gun hunter's hunting like let's say you know somebody next door's got the, the the same type of habitat continues on across the property line which is common i mean you'll get this guy clear cut his stuff the same guy this guy clear cut his stuff and then it's just one massive jungle out there you know even a rifle hunter in georgia he's going to have a two-track sendero cut all the way down that thing and you get a big boy that walks out of one side across a two track you better pretty much already be sitting there with the safety off with the slack out of the trigger to kill him when he comes across so you know unless he's just back and forth running does and up and down it and they finally get him to stop it's still hard to hunt that with a gun uh and and they get wise to it too yeah I mean, oh yeah they do a big old buck he's probably been shot at in those things before. oh absolutely and he's like if i'm going across there i'm either scooting or i'm not doing it <laughs> well and, it, and it's also it, it is legal to bait in georgia and that's something that i mean we, we will put some some corn out in front of cameras depending on where they're at but like i said once again i i don't have i've specifically hunted over bait before and man i just get blown at from the time i'm in the tree to the time i get down it's just not a not what you want to do i think that's a good way to blow your deer out when bow hunting is hunt right there directly over the bait unless it's just a uh, foolproof there's no unless you're on a cliff and they can't come from downwind you know that's one thing but i i don't like hunting over bait either just because you get eight deer sitting there eating and then finally the one you want to shoot walks in well now you've got you know 20 eyes on you and, and you can't you leave, yeah exactly 
So I, I, I don't like that. That's why I'd much rather hunt a transition zone or a travel route. That way, hey, if deer comes by me, if I want to shoot it, I shoot it. If not, it's there and it's by me and it spends as little time around me as possible because the more time you have deer spending time around you, they're going to eventually... So they, I guess I want to ask you, what do, do you have any tips for hunting bait? Like, is there ways, ways to get out of there? Is there certain things that you do? Uh, yeah, so... Well, just playing the wind is going to be your best friend. But like you were saying, you know, they're going to circle if they can. And that's just that's just a risk you you deal with. Like for me, I grew up 100% hunting over corn feeder or a corn pile all the time unless it's a big acorn crop and you got to go get under an acorn tree and hunt them that way. Because when the acorns are falling, they're not coming to a feeder. They'll and leave we it don't, alone. Yeah. And we don't have food plots at our at our place where you've seen we got cattle everywhere, so yeah. we you know, we don't have anything like that. <clears throat> so when it comes to bow hunting over a feeder, it's a lot of it's just playing the wind. You are gonna get blown at a lot. That's gonna happen. Deer density is so high in that part of the state, as y'all saw, the amount of deer that are down there, that you know, you're gonna have a whole lot of eyes on you. Um, and so your entrance and exit what i mean we use the trucks to our advantage you know have somebody pick you up drop you off yep because that's the best way to get in and out and then they don't really care instead of you walking in that kind of goes the same for even a field edge if oh you're, yeah if you were here for example in wisconsin and mm -hmm. you've got a bean field that you're hoping deer come to i think that in farm country where animals are used to that work going mm -hmm. on constantly coming I mean, vehicles coming in and out every day to your place and yeah he's feeding that. cows out there every day so the deer are used to a vehicle and you let them you let the truck bump them off and i mean that works pretty good i mean it ain't foolproof by any means and the big mature deer are wise to it i mean i don't know how many times i've been sitting there at a specific stand and you know just have a big old doe comes out and she's at 100 yards and she's just staring at the feeder and she'll just sit there. Even when you got the wind in your favor, she'll just sit there and stare at it and then blow and then run off. And you're like, well, shit, what am I going to do now? <laughs> I mean, and what, you know, what you should do is get outside of the box, you know. And that's what you can do early or, you know, preseason is go out there in August and get up in a rifle stand or something and watch these deer approach this feeder, see where they're coming from, get an idea where they're bedding. And most of our spots are, you know, a lot of them are along the property lines because these deer are living off the property in a lot of places. So you just figure out where they're crossing from, and then you can adjust to that and go getting a different kind of setup up from your feeder or whatever. Yeah, different setups for different wind directions, basically. Mm -hmm. And that's like last year. I only got to hunt there a couple of days last year, but I got there the first day, and opening morning, I knew I had a bad wind. Knew it was going to be bad. And I even said, I was like, these I was trying to hunt this big group of does that was coming i said they're going to come and get downwind of that feeder up in the road and they're just going to stand there and blow and that's what they did that morning and i had the saddle with me and i was like i don't know why i just didn't get it set up ahead of time and then just hunt it that way so then the rest of the time i was there i hunted i got the wind right and hunted from the saddle and it worked good i just didn't ever get a shot at a doe that i was trying to kill uh, just a little first year deer fawn come through so but anyways, yeah, there's ways to get around it. <clears throat> but that's just a challenge of, of hunting over bait. And, you know, that's just the culture in Texas. It's like, if you're not hunting over a feeder, what the hell are you doing? You know, yeah. I, it's like, until this last year, I didn't know any different. You know, I'd see people do it, but I never hunted with people that hunted any different. So that's, I only knew that. Mm -hmm. And then, I, you know, we all hunted together all last year, and I just learned so many different ways. So now what's been cool is taking the different things I've learned and being able to apply them to the style of hunting I've always had on that property. Like you were saying about going and looking at the terrain and saying, okay, you can get off the feeder and hunt this draw the same way you would hunt a drainage in Kansas and approach it that way. Yeah, vegetation's gonna be different and things like that. But for the most part, the topography's the same. You mm -hmm. should be able to work around the deer in the same way mm -hmm. and find success or hogs, whatever you mm -hmm. wanna be hunting. So that's the cool thing about it now for me is just taking all these different things and applying it to what I already knew. Yeah, that's been the most beneficial thing of traveling to hunt is you get to take, again, while the vegetation may be different, the terrain features and things like water sources, mm -hmm. those are pretty much the same 
And a lot of times edge relates to that the same. So even if it's not a, exactly the same look once you're there, you can test those things that have worked in one place and try them somewhere else. And I, yep. I just think that something that kind of fascinates me about the Texas thing is when you think Texas hunting, whether you live there or not, you think feeders. Mm-hmm. To me, it would be fun to just try different stuff that's not based off of the feeders or maybe is relates to it, but test it first with hogs. Like I would love to just go down there and bow hunt hogs on the ground, try to find where they want to be with a bow just because I feel like then you could take that to deer, but you could also take it to, I mean, whatever you're going to hunt, just hunting in general, like we always talk about makes you better. Mm -hmm. And I think just testing that and even just scouting, like let's say we're hunting hogs that are going to a feeder, but we're going to try to get in their bedding area and shoot them bedded. I mean, that's going to be fun, but also we're going to be looking at deer sign along the way and just trying to think outside the box from that standpoint too. And that's just, I mean, that's honestly my life goal is just let's take the norm and let's just mix it up completely. Mm -hmm. I just really enjoy doing that. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Texas opens up and, and just Southern deer hunting in general. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's definitely people out there doing, you know, tactics that are different from the norm. But one thing that I find and maybe, maybe I'm just reading this wrong, but one thing I find fairly consistent down south, whether you're in Texas, Georgia, or anywhere in between, the hunting culture tends to follow the same general strategies. Like you, you mentioned the lane down through the clear cut or uh, box blinds are a big, a big uh, stand type mm-hmm. that is used more frequently food plots food plots yeah. or or feeders or bait piles and, and not to say that those things can't work but generally speaking the same results happen to the same strategy over and over again i mean the same thing goes exactly for if you're hunting public land in a place like ohio wisconsin iowa whatever the places that are easier it's like if you do the same things that everybody else is doing you're probably going to have about the same results so mm-hmm. therefore to me, what's exciting about southern deer hunting is there's this large, uh, there's a lot of room for experimenting different oh, things. Oh, yeah. I'll agree. And I feel like that's something that you do a little bit of, at least. Like, yeah, you certainly have some, I mean, you definitely do. I mean, you tell stories enough that it's like, well, yeah, that's thinking about something different, like the Sawtooth <laughs> Oak story that you've been telling a lot. Well, and... and I've, this thought's been in my mind ever since you were talking about it on the <clears throat> the hog shooting in. If you've got, if you live in a place with hogs, that is an excellent way to make yourself better at stalking. Period, or just moving through the woods. I mean, go out in the summertime or whenever there's no hunting season, and go take your bow or your gun or whatever, and go find where these hogs are and go kill them and have a good time. And you, I mean, you put some fresh pork on the table and also help out getting rid of some invasives right there doing that and it'll make you better in the end because even as dumb as a hog is try sneaking up on them. <laughs> yeah, yeah they're, they're they're they don't miss much man they're yeah. wild and they they make their living surviving uh-huh. i mean getting away from people just like us just so, like every wild animal you know yep they're out there doing one thing survive and eat they, yep. that's what they got to do so i think that's pretty good uh I mean, if you've got them man use them to your advantage and go go fool around with them mm-hmm. if nothing else you know if you run eventually you'll just spook the hell out of them to the point where they leave and that's <laughs> yeah. and you still win at that point yeah. so uh but one one thing that i started doing the older that i've gotten in georgia uh i don't go in in the dark anymore why would I take my bow and go walk right through the woods in the dark when I can't even do anything about it? If he is in there and I bump him out of there at 4.30 in the morning, well, I just blew him out of there, and he's probably not going to come stand right back there any at any time today unless there's one hot doe that he is with and she can't stand it and she has to come back there. That's about the only only chance you have at him coming right back there. So I'll, you know, wait till – I may get up early and at least drive my truck to where I want to park at, but as soon as I can – see the peep on my bow and i shoot a single pin so i gotta look at one one pin as soon as i can see that pin i'll start walking and if there's deer in there where i'm uh, you know officially wanting to be at at the end of the at the end of the walk wherever i want to set up at or if i'm not setting up whatever wherever i want to work i just want to make sure that i can shoot 
by the time I get in there. Because if I blow him out of there and in, in the dark, I mean, I just shot myself in the both feet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just not even worth it. And I have shot deer on the way into a place or on the way out, too. Uh, I typically won't get down any earlier than dark just because, I mean, you know dang good and well right there at prime time. If you're in the spot where you think he's going to come popping out of the bushes, you, you better probably better just to sit there. But I think you do less harm in the morning walking in. After, and I don't mean just, you know skipping on down through there i mean like pick your way in yeah you may not make sunrise maybe at six forty, seven o'clock and you may not make it to the tree you want to be at till eight but at least you didn't just run every deer out of there the deer are probably still in there doing deer things mm-hmm. and they're if, if they're up on their feet they're you're gonna see them you know if it's on that morning it'll it'll happen if it's meant to be it's meant to be mm-hmm. you got that's some, something else that you got to do too i mean man you don't get too bent out of shape about it if it's gonna happen it'll it'll happen something that i think about a lot is when i was younger going to the stand i was just going yep there was nothing else i wasn't <laughs> picking my way down through there i was just going to the going. stand you know i wasn't getting low i wasn't being conscious of where deer may see me going in i was just going there because your hunt didn't start till you're in the stand yeah which yeah. is mind-blowing <laughs> like to me now it's like your hunt didn't start till you were in the stand? Like, what does that even mean? And I just think that, you know, really, if you take anything away from the tactics that we use that aren't necessarily going to the stand, mm-hmm. is that you can always hunt your way there. That's something that I just, really, it blows my mind, and I look back to it so much and think, what, what was I thinking? I mean, I didn't know that I was ruining the entire thing before it even started. It's highly underrated. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think there's a couple ways to do it because there's sometimes I go in super early, Bruce, and there's other times I do what, well, you, what you're talking about. I can about. see out west, especially like if you're out there hunting mule deer or even whitetails. But if, if you just happen to be where you can't camp or you can't sleep in there with the deer or you don't want to because you don't want them to end up wandering around and, you know, you just don't want to be in there that tight to them for that long. I get that. Like, you may still have to get up and do some walking in the dark, and I could definitely see that out west on mule deer, elk, stuff like that. I mean, you got to be probably got to be on the move. But for me personally in Georgia, specifically where I grew up at and the areas that I can hunt around there, I, I just don't get in there. And I used to. Man, I can't tell you how many hours I've spent in the dark sitting up there just waiting. <laughs> you know. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, oh yeah, getting blown out, hearing stomping, yeah, the whole possums climbing up the tree right in front of me. I mean, the whole deal, pitch black, dark. Now, there's there's no need to. I value the sleep too. It's yeah, nice. yeah, dude. Uh, it's a big. That's a big part of it for me. It's like I gotta be really committed to a theory that I have. That makes me believe I gotta get in there that early that if early, I'm gonna yep. do it. And I, I still, like I said, I'll do it, but I do it significantly less than what I used to. And when Jake and I first started hunting together, we started joking, "Well, we'll get in there and move when the deer are moving." And it's a strategy that actually does work. It's kind of a pretty good strategy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's silly, but it seems silly when you've never done it. But I guess I think our thought was always that if they're moving, it makes it easier for us to move. And also, we don't have to get up as early. <laughs> I mean, right? No, that definitely makes a lot of sense, man. When they're when they're just in that steady, just deer walk, there's no doubt they're not noticing near as much as if it's sitting there laying down in that bed. Man, they don't miss nothing. At, like when you're walking in the dark too, it's like there's been a lot of times where they'll they'll bed down for the first hour, and then all of a sudden they'll get up. And, you know, maybe they've been laying down for the first, you know hour before daylight and an hour into daylight and then all of a sudden something stands up you know i can think of a lot of times where not a lot of times but i can think of a specific time where i knew a buck was bedding in a specific spot i think i was telling someone about this the other day behind mm-hmm. my parents I tried to beat him in there he's already in there and i was in there an hour before daylight if i would have just waited i might have been better off because i got i was just going to stand in the standing corner right next to it and i got like took my last step basically and i was just going to stand there and wait and all of a sudden, a deer, heavy deer got up, and I heard antlers hit stuff, and he was out of there. He mm-hmm. beat me back there. Well, right. one that comes to mind with me and you was we went into that spot in the rut in Iowa. 
we got all the way in there, set up the decoy before daylight, climbed up the tree, and we're sitting there for like 10 or 15 minutes in the dark, and here comes this buck across the field, and it's too dark to shoot. I mean, it's well before shooting light still, and that thing walks right up to the decoy and spooks before, and <laughs> he was gone before it even broke daylight. Uh-huh. And that one we should, I mean, that was in the middle of the rut, so if we'd have just slipped in there when we could actually shoot something, we'd have been in better shape. Yeah. On the flip. He heard us come up there. Uh-huh. Coming to check us out. Yeah, on the flip side, one of my favorite morning hunts that I've had as of the last few years was um, I hit that buck in Minnesota, hit him too high, didn't get him, but that was a location where there was enough doe bedding in that, and it was super thick. And our goal was to get to a little meadow within the thick and because it was getting towards the tail end of october we were getting some better weather our hope was that the deer were going to be moving back to bed a little bit later and there was buck signs surrounding it but all the beds that we were finding or the majority were does so we were just hoping that we would catch a buck kind of cruising through there on his way back to his bedding area which was probably going to be more i guess concealed or layered back in there behind other deer and we got up pretty dang early by the time we got done creeping our way in there step by step trying to make no noise and if it was a noise it was trying to sound like a different animal right when we got set up we had no more than you know finalized the setup and here he came right up very first light and i think that that was a unique situation where i had the confidence to do that though but I also wasn't trying to beat a specific buck back or anything. I was just hoping to have exactly what happened happen. Mm-hmm. You know, like have that buck come back, check in the doe bedding area. But I don't do that very often, you know. It's like I wouldn't do that every day. Whenever we're walking through the woods, we're not trying to sound like a human. It's no. like you're trying to just blend in with, I mean, whatever makes sense for that day, I guess. But you're just not consistently just, you know, one step after another. Nothing wild does that. I do quite a bit of grunting when I'm walking yeah. around. I mean, that's that's the only thing I know, too, unless you're going to take a turkey call with you and mm-hmm. scratch like your turkeys. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what else to do. Yeah. But it's work, too. You yeah. take that grunt. I mean, and you better have an arrow on the string because you, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you'll have him run right up on you, yeah. and you're sitting there thinking, well, and that hey. worked in Minnesota. That's what happened when me and you were slipping in. We're making some noise because you're walking in snow. Yep. You got no choice but to be kind of loud. But as we were slipping, you were grunting mm-hmm. as we are just getting up in there. And then he just happened to poke his head out of that brush. And we're right there. And he sees that heads-up decoy on that. Mm-hmm. Or was it called heads-up? Maybe I should name it. Give him a plug. Yeah, no, no plug. It was uh... a... <laughs> <laughs> It was a it ultimate was a, predator, a silhouette decoy <laughs> yeah. on your bow. But I mean, I think you grunting as we were going through there that helped a lot because yeah. it just adds some realism. Mm-hmm. I I really like focusing on not sounding like a human, and I think I made up a rule for myself: one loud step, not bad, but you can pause. Two loud steps is getting a little dangerous because it's that one-two cadence that only humans have other than turkeys but usually in the fall one turkey's not kind of roaming around by itself you know so one two bad one two three really have to pause at that but four plus whoa you're doing (laughs) something that you should not be doing and if you catch yourself doing that stop right now don't don't be like ah not a big deal or yeah i shouldn't like stop right now you might be spooking a deer right now and the memory that pops up when i think of that is the buck that ben and i ended up killing during gun season when we were moving through the bedding area and i took like i remember if i if i had to pick a number it would be like five so it was too many for my personal rule and i had that gut instinct of like too far and i looked to my left and ben's like big buck so just stop don't I mean, keep doing I think, it i feel like we've seen it enough just with watching bucks bedded down it's like you can maybe you're trying to get your set like you're 20 yards away from something but you got to break a stick or something to get you know make sure you can get your shot i mean they can hear that and like not care at all but it, you know as soon as it's like two or three consistent things in a row or maybe a squirrel you know is off behind you just see their ears turn listen for a second, okay squirrel and then they'll go back to being relaxed but like any breaking stick it's like for a second they're just like what was that or they at least turn their ears towards it 
it's pretty interesting to see. And people talk about woodsmanship skills all the time, and I think automatically, at least for me, and, and maybe this is different for you guys, but I think automatically, I think the type of person that reads sign, I always, when I, if you could associate a picture with woodsmanship skills, I would think of a guy like sizing a track. But wearing red and black flannel yeah (laughs) jeans in green rubber boots yeah oh i absolutely got their lacrosses on yeah and i just think been thinking recently woodsmanship skills is so much more than that it's reading not just the wind direction but when the wind gusts it's knowing when to move when a deer's moving versus when it's looking reading a deer's body language that's a deeper woodsmanship skills than reading a rub and seeing how fresh keep it is keep hammering that crow call at that noah she's coming in yeah <laughs> uh-huh. yeah there's layers to it there's so many layers yep. to it there's so many routes that you could go if you're talking woodsmanship skills when to draw your bow when to break that stick if you need to get set up or something it's just there's so many things that really play into that more than just what's fresh sign that i need to set up on yeah and i i think as opposed to turkey hunting there's so much different of an approach required to sneaking around and not bumping deer and i've got a great example of just impatience this past year that would have led to me killing a great deer at like 10 steps on the ground in the broad daylight i was slipping through a little hardwood bottom that had some of those overgrown clear cuts on either side of it so i knew that they were going to be deer bedded basically my my whole intention was to slip through that hardwood bottom rattling some and doing some grunting and raking tree limbs and whatnot and draw a bedded buck into that creek bottom with me that doesn't sound fun no no (laughs) and, and, and i mean just like i drew it up i just i don't know what i was thinking man i yeah i'll never forget it i was doing the old step look around never more than a couple of steps at the time and i cracked a really dry pot a lot of poplar in there and so one of those poplar limbs was just really dry and i popped it super super loud i was like wow stand here for quite a while and don't don't move a muscle well when i popped the limb i stood there for a few seconds and i was like i better grunt with it so i grunted and everything I just talked about inside my head just went out the window. And within like 30 seconds, I start moving again. <laughs> and who would have thought that a shooter buck comes, I mean, just right out of the brush right there, coming straight to where I just was. And I'm moving when he comes through. He pegs me. And best look I got at him was that right there on the way out. And I was just <laughs> like, well, there you go. I mean, like nine in the morning, broad daylight, perfect. He was going to come in there just beautifully. And when when you get your mind set on doing something like you know better than to crack a stick grunt and then just take what are you doing just grunted like come here and then oh let me take off moving real quick i mean mm-hmm. what what train of thought happened i just completely just had a brain fart obviously because i should never have been moving anywhere near that quick i should have stood there for 15 minutes and not moved a muscle really mm-hmm. because it can be delayed he may sit out there and rub bushes and that clear cut and posture up he just may, listen yeah. yourself too right like That's if right. you made that pop i always try to think when you observe a white-tailed deer and you can do this in real life or you can watch about two million videos on YouTube or the Sportsman Channel or whatever avenue you want to go there. But when you watch the deer, like Jake said, their ears will move. But a lot of times they'll just be standing there listening. Ears are moving. There's obviously catching wind or whatever. So how do I be that too? If I'm already going through the woods grunting, rattling, raking trees, how do I also tune into his world? How can I become the buck and act like him? And I think that it's easier said than done, but one thing that you said is you should stand there for 15 minutes, and I often think to myself how challenging that is because 99 out of 100 times you do that, nothing's showing. No. But you can't take the play. If you're going to approach it that way, you just can't take the play off because as soon as that 100th time happens and there he is. Oh, and you should have seen his posture. The, the way the deer was for the split second that i got to watch him in his zone oh he was toast 
Uh, he had them ears laid back. He had the posture going. I mean, he was coming in there. My guess is he's probably bedded out there with a doe. Yep. Could may not have been. He may have just been bedded by himself. But for that time of the year, I don't think so. I think he's bedded with a doe, and he he was coming in there ready to go. Yep. See, that's cool to me too because would have been blind that I could have done whatever I needed to if I'd have just not been moving. <laughs> I think that's cool too because I. I feel that it's it's easy to write off certain tactics and say well that's only for the midwestern guys or you guys are doing that in iowa but that's never going to work for me elsewhere and as i hear different examples i mean if anything i'd imagine it works better down there just because it, it is so dense that they no, got to come yeah. and look and it's yeah. just you, you can't get a visual like a lot of times we do it's like you're just that's the biggest thing is it's not like you say oh well i've been seeing this buck in here a bunch no i hadn't seen nothing Mm -hmm. but i just know he's in here Mm -hmm. i mean the sign is there the big tree big rubs consistent big rubs yeah it's the same thing it's the same thing in when we've hunted pennsylvania Mm -hmm. ohio indiana i mean me and jake even in even in iowa i mean straight in iowa yeah. yeah couple of years ago we would just walk around get to a spot on the ground where we thought you might be bedding. young pin oaks it's like real dense you know so they, uh-huh. they're gonna have to come and looking for you and you know that there's gonna be a bunch of deer in there but i i i just think that if you enjoy the type of hunting that we're talking about you can do it anywhere and i I guess it doesn't really matter what style you like. I want you to do that. But if you are bored with the same old, same old, it's not because of where you hunt. It's just a matter of whether or not you start to learn that process or not, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Because I have enjoyed going from doing it in different parts of the country where it's a little bit more open or broken, but then taking it even just simply in Ohio and Pennsylvania, hunting in the timber there was has been extremely fun for me like some of my because it's hard and because i don't know it yet and i'm still chipping away at learning when to stop when to go when to rattle what sign do i need to post up on but i enjoy that learning process heck yeah it was easier in other parts of the country but doing it there has taught me a a lot about hunting and has helped me become a better hunter more confident in places than when you can get that little visual or you get that little broken habitat to where it's easier to narrow things yeah. down uh if we're talking about realistic like making noise that sounds like a deer and having success with it i mean you guys in michigan called in two really nice bucks just with like didn't you do the, your mouth grunt and shake some leaves or whatever yep. in that tree that you were in and uh-huh. Like early October, which is quote unquote like not a very great time to Call. in a high pressured state where you think, you know, I don't know. I feel like there's that perception where if you're not in Iowa, <clears throat> excuse me, Iowa or Kansas or whatever, you can't do the things that you know you hear about or whatever. But you can still call, but you just have to do it in a different way. You know, it really doesn't matter to me, even if I am in Iowa or Kansas. I still want to add that real. I love the the saying, you can't. You you can't do that. (laughs) I wouldn't go at him. No. (laughs) I love hearing that. (laughs) But, yeah, like, as long as you aren't just sitting there being, I don't know, like, I guess I said, if, if you're being realistic with it, I don't think you're at all ever hurting yourself. Like, this last year, I had, um... That's so stupid. We're gonna go off on a little tangent here, but I was walking Let's up go, this. Dylan. I was walking up this little <laughs> logging road in the hardwoods, and there was, you know, a couple blocks in there that I had seen sign of and thought I was getting closer, and was just kind of stage hunting my way into this back corner. And it's really hard to access, and I got all the way back in there, and there was just not the sign that I thought was gonna be in there. I was kind of pissed, you know. Mm-hmm. So I sat down on a stump. Or right in front of the stump and i was just having a snack and a drink and i was just trying to like all right you're fine what are you going to do because you still have you know however much time left you need to figure something out you know you're not just going to pout and go home to the car and uh what like trying to figure out what i'm going to do and i hear walking coming towards me and there was a doe and uh like a three-point really young buck was on her she wasn't in heat but he was just messing around with her. it was halloween night mm-hmm. and because that started in the commotion of her just trying to like 
get the heck away from me and him following her around or whatever and kind of grunting a little bit. Well, all of a sudden, like a decent little two-year-old buck comes walking behind me and then just out of the blue, one of the big eight-pointers that I knew was in this property comes walking down just like a mature buck would. He was very at the, like basically at the ditch. I was hunting hill country and I was at the about three-quarter elevation on this logging road and down below me, he came walking in because all the thermals were dropping into that mm -hmm. thermal hub. But the only reason that I saw that deer was because of that noise that those other deer were making. So mm -hmm. if you can simulate that, I mean, I don't think that there's ever going to be a situation where it really throws them off unless they've been spooked to that exact call or whatever before. But I don't know. I, th I think that's one of the biggest things that you can do to have success is make realistic ground noise and grunting or whatever. And it works a lot. I also think that the deer hunting thing is in this respect a lot like the turkeys uh you know you can get to a place when you're turkey hunting and man they're just not doing it and i'm guilty of it just like anybody else is saying not necessarily that they're done but like man they're just they're not gobbling oh the deer just ain't feeling it and i i think you you go to places and you have experiences good and bad like no hunting experience is quote unquote bad, right. but lesser quality than than others. And, and I mean, you can get to places where the deer just no, it's just not on right then. But you could be there three days earlier or three days later, mm -hmm. and have the most unreal experience of your life. Or and, two and I, hours later. Yeah, oh yeah, two. That's right. It, it you never know when it's liable to flick and change. And I mean, that's just hunting, man. Mm -hmm. I I will say that. I've done very little out-of-state deer hunting, but the little bit that I've done, like, for instance, I, I went to Ohio to pick up a dog. I, I bought a dog that I had had to go. Either they were going to ship the dog or I was going to go drive up there, and I don't mind driving. I mean, I love a road trip, so I went up there and got the dog, and I've got a buddy that lives there, so I, I bought a Ohio tag and license and all for one day. I knew I had one day, like the daylight of that one day to hunt, and I didn't come any closer to killing a deer that day in Ohio than my buddies back in Georgia did. Yeah. But I had a great time. I saw plenty of deer, and it was a good experience. I mean, I, man, I don't care if you have a day or if you got ten days, try it. Mm -hmm. I mean, what what if I had killed a monster whitetail that day? I promise you, I had a lot better chance actually trying than I did if I had <laughs> just slept in and not gone. Yeah. So or turned around. I don't back. I learned too. I learned about places that I saw deer using deer in the middle of the day, like deer on their feet at twelve and one o'clock, but just in certain pockets of of different types of of terrain and habitat. I mean, they would they would feel comfortable in there, and I'd see them stand up and go to moving around, and it taught me a little. It taught me enough to where when I go back next time. I know some things to maybe zone in on and, mm -hmm. and try getting a little closer down to there before I stop and set up shop. Along those lines, something that I've been meaning to ask ever since you brought it up, when you hunt in those pine stands with the head-high vegetation, you mentioned uh, a plant type. Are there other types of pine stands like that that have different stuff growing in them that aren't as good? Like, for example... When we hunted Alabama, we were hunting a lot of stuff that was pretty similar as far as pine plantations, but then hardwood bottoms. Yep. And one of the things that I felt like we kind of picked up on, but still are very novice on, is that has more deer trails in it than that. But I can't tell you what the hell's growing in either yeah. one of them, but there were certain ones that just looked different, and we started to kind of pick up on a visual for it, where it's like, that stuff not that stuff that stuff maybe that stuff but definitely that stuff do you well, see I, that too i think that when you get around that area that i specifically hunt uh there's a lot of different variables that can play into why deer are going through there at this point in time it could be that there's several thousand acres this way that are growing a summer food source like partridge peas or ragweed or maybe the american beauty berries coming out really good on some of these edges of these clear cuts or out in them depending on the stage at which the growth is in them uh you know if it's an area that deer feel comfortable in they're not getting pressured then they may really be pathing to that or for instance like you get around my area and there's a lot of peanuts and cotton 
deer love cotton for for those that may not think cotton does anything oh you can grow that nothing eats it man the deer the hogs everything loves that cotton and that can definitely play into how deer are moving through these pinch points and where the pinch point is at a certain time of the year like i can assure you i see places that are way way more lopsided with sign in september than they are in november and it's not necessarily that the deer are not bedding in the same they're bedding in the same spot but they're going to a different spot just depending on the food source for that time of the year uh and especially in those overgrown clear cuts you know when i get a bunch of deer bedding in, a, in an area and i know deer are using that area really really heavily uh you know de depending on the acorn crop depending on what crops may be planted around i mean i just <laughs> you, you kind of got to hunt your way around it. I mean, it's one of those things where I, I'm definitely not the kind of guy that normally goes in on day one and just figures it all out. I mean, it's a almost like a seat throughout the season progression of figuring out where these deer are coming in, coming and going. There's pressure on every piece of land surrounding. I mean, there's just like up in the Midwest or anywhere else where deer hunting heritage is really, really thick. You, you want to see, there's, there's people pulled in, there's gates that have trucks at them that you will not see a gate at 300 and, 50 days out of the year i can assure you you won't see a soul there and you let november the first hit there's people everywhere mm -hmm. so play off those people too i mean people get deer moving that's that's something good about the only good thing about the pressure i can really think of is it makes deer it uncomfortable and them. they have to they have to keep moving because you know they get somewhere and they bed down and then joe blow up the road comes in and he's hunting and then you know next thing you know his cousin up the road's on his lease too uh and, and Bruce and Hall comes in and moves I, too fast after he grinds. That, yeah, that, that, <laughs> yeah, and then you just got deer. Just it just keeps them moving. Yeah, uh, because there's there's a lot more people hunting than I thought. I mean, I know the kind of shooting that I hear, especially when rifle season picks up. And in Georgia, we have a really long rifle season from like third Saturday in October until January the fifteenth. That's rifle season, so a long time. I mean, those deer get hammered, and. uh I mean, you can definitely tell a difference in the movement from October the 20th to November the 20th. Yeah, the, the same field that you were seeing 30 deer in right there before dark, now you're seeing two. Yeah. And it's the two doe yearlings that are coming out before all the old ones just because they're not, they've never been messed with. They don't care. Uh, they don't get it yet. No, no. <laughs> and, and just like that, there's a, there's a big gap between a yearling status deer and a more mature deer and a jake turkey. And a long beard, mm -hmm. way way different. I mean, you take a two-year-old buck and a four-year-old buck. That joker doesn't—he doesn't deal with the same. Right. The same. Hey, his his attention span is way shorter than mm -hmm. than than the other ones. Yeah. Uh, One thing sure. I would relate it to is our experience in Arkansas the last couple of years. That seemed like we were hunting just flat ground with tons of pin oaks and lots of thick stuff and everything. But those deer were very hard to like get a beat on where they're going, f coming from, and going to. Like one day, Nick and I hunted a food plot that was on this piece of public, and there was a guy, a local guy that we'd been talking to, and he saw like tons of deer going out to that that food plot throughout the day, the day before. So Sounds we went. Sounds like the state's actually doing something there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we set up on that thing all day long and rattled every. 15 minutes literally for the all entire day, day. <laughs> and didn't see a single deer out there no, not one but it was just it's interesting we've gone there two years in a row now and it's just interesting to see how the deer move through all that stuff and jeez, hard to find any consistency to it yeah well i mean i, f I found the most frustrating part about hunting in timber in the 2021 season mm. was finding a food source that was consistent where the year prior the food source was super obvious every time you got huh? under a scarf I, like <laughs> I don't blame him jake just farted right on me <laughs> and it smelled horrible turn the vacuums on <laughs> yeah turn the vacuum on <laughs> but yeah I, I guess all i'm really getting at is one year you can be in a spot and you can see that there's tons of feeding sign on one consistent food source the next year it's not the same and it's much more spread out and that's extremely frustrating and i feel like that's kind of the the trend 
on big timber tracks that I would say is one thing that if you're looking for a baseline starting point, don't get caught up in terrain features or anything. Just go move around and try to find some concentrations of sign. Find the sign. Find a little bit of food source sign too. And then you can relate certain things off of that. But if you're not finding any concentration, you might be spending a time you know, time on a hillside or a ridge line that's completely worthless because the deer just aren't really consistently spending time there. And I feel that that varies year to year. And that's something that we don't deal with as much when we hunt open country or broken country. Because for example, if you're in Iowa and this field is pretty far back in there, you know, and there's not a lot of people hunting the private, for example, whether it's beans, corn, or winter wheat, there's probably deer going out there to feed in it. And that's kind of your destination. And that's not going to change that much year to year. But the things once you're in the timber, if the deer aren't making it to that in daylight, those things are going to change even in Iowa. So I, I think I mentioned it earlier. I think sometimes it's, it's, it's easy to say, well, like those things work there. They don't there. But those, still, those uh, principles still stand where you have to find where the fresh, fresher concentrations of, of bedding or feeding, one of the two, but mm. the easiest to kind of find is, is food. Well, and I noticed, like, back in Georgia, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be just in these fresh clear cuts, old clear cuts, pines that have been replanted and grown a couple of generations, whatever, but you get these pockets of, uh, you know, different from, like, the Midwest or a lot of the South, like, where I'm specifically growing up and or grew up and have been hunting all my life, we don't have a ton of white oaks, overcup oaks, swamp chestnuts. I'm up on the hill away from the river, so we're primarily water oaks and post oaks. Mm-hmm. And these little pot, I mean, there's just isolated pockets of them everywhere. So all these little strip drainages, normally it's maple, poplar, and water oak. Uh, then you get up on the hills and you'll get like property line boundary fence rows that have tons of post oak and then water oaks in them too. And those boundary lines may be a long way. And if they're covered up in a food source like acorns, I mean, deer can just be laying in this, this landscape anywhere. I mean, I've seen deer just laying like a, you know, a vine thicket that's just so random out in the middle of nowhere where you would never expect the deer to be laying. That's exactly where he's going to be. And all he has to do is get up and just shuffle a little ways over there to the property line at the right time of the year when the acorns are falling. And, you know, as opposed to like, you know, sometimes I've seen in the spring, especially like you get into this big mountain country in North Carolina, Georgia, wherever, and you can't walk because it's like you're walking on marbles. And just the entire, I mean, for thousands of acres, the acorn crop is just, bumper isn't even the word for it Mm -hmm. it's just crazy you never see acorns like that in your life uh and and when we get a bumper acorn crop in georgia it can be extremely tough to hunt just like anywhere else because instead of these little pockets that are hot where you can go find the hot sign spread out man he can i mean this this one fence row on this one side of the property goes for you know three quarters of a mile and it's loaded with post oaks and water oaks well then when it goes in corners it's the same deal and then that goes up in corners it's the same deal so man deer can literally lay and they they definitely feel the pressure they find out where it's not and you just have to find that spot yeah. too because they'll come out there in the broad daylight and go to munching on acorns i mean i i do a lot of hunting in the vicinity of acorns especially later in the year like some of those we get uh southern red oaks too and those those generally will hold on to those acorns a little bit longer than the water oaks and whatnot. And if you can find that hot pocket of late red oaks, I see a lot of deer on on those those acorns right there. And I mean broad daylight, mature deer coming to them, especially like right after that, they'll generally drop late in the rut, and they can go fuel back up on those high protein acorns, and it's good for them. Man, that'll get them in trouble. I feel that it's so common for us to say in timber settings too go find the edge go find some sort of disturbance Mm -hmm. but with that being said too plenty of times i've seen deer bedding on a ridge that it's just wide open but that food source that time of the year or that given year that week whatever that's what's holding them there a different year it may be different they're all on the edge or they're buried in a clear cut or something but 
Yeah, just keep keeping her moving. You know, don't don't believe if you if you're hunting a timber or more uh, monotonous type of habitat type, I just say keep moving. That's my, that's what's helped me for sure. And on on that note, the keeping moving, like I think that's something that even I'm sitting here saying this, and I consider myself a fairly novice deer hunter on the traveling aspect. Like in my home home state and home area, I've hunted quite a bit, but if you were somewhere on a like this is how i would personally tackle it let's say i go to kansas and hunt and i show up to a spot that i've got some pins dropped in and i'm not seeing the sign i mean i'm not i'm not becoming a kansas resident so i don't have all my life to sit here and find deer yeah. sign like it's time to get moving find the sign and i don't mean just blow the area out like you got to be reasonable with how you approach things but you know don't sit there and spin your wheels in a place that you, that you don't see sign and don't have any confidence. Go yeah. find the sign and go find the deer yeah, where they're at. That's what we're doing most times, just slipping through areas. Mm -hmm. I mean, still hunting and looking for sign. And if you find, Sometimes you know, you got to cover ground and then that, then you know what good sign looks like for that area. It's like you're just kind of looping back after a couple of days to maybe the, the best spot that you found. Otherwise, you just do have to keep moving. Until you, yeah. I mean, you, you, we all know what fresh sign looks like enough now and know what we're looking for. There's no point in really stopping until you find that. Mm -hmm. All right, guys. Well, Dylan's left us, so goodbye, Dylan. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think we'll wrap this one up, and hopefully you guys took something away from it. I don't know. I feel like I did. I feel like it was a fun one. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Peace.